For anyone that has done well and figured it out and had the light bulb moment, it's because they actually figured it out themselves. I'm not talking about the guys or gals who called a local guide up and got some fishing spots and then won the tournament off of someone else's information. I'm talking about the people that truly had the light bulb moment in their fishing career where they looked at the map and saw all the contour lines and literally physically saw something different than everyone else sees. It's like it's, um, if you watch those movies where the people see the numbers and um, they show up differently or there's words and sentences that they see, it's almost like that. But it's like looking at a graph in the contour lines and you do physically see something different, whether it's the underwater points or you pick out things that are different. And when you have that aha moment, it has to come from within. It doesn't come from a guide, local guide information. It doesn't come from someone you travel with told you what to do and what to use and how deep and how fast. It's an actual moment in time. Welcome to the Woman Angler and Adventurer Podcast, inspiring real women with a passion for fishing in the outdoors to go get their adventure on. Now, here's your host, coming to you from the Lance Chuck Camper Mobile Podcast Studio, Master Captain Angie Scott. Welcome to this week's episode of the Woman Angler and Adventurer Podcast. You're in for yet another treat this week. I feel like we've really been on an incredible roll here with amazing guests lately. This week, I'm featuring history-making walleye tournament angler, Marianne Husky. She actually teaches people how to win tournaments. So we're going to talk about what that process looks like, some new stuff she's got going on, her background in fishing, a couple epic moments she's had over the years, and much more. Before we get into that, just a quick update. So speaking of fishing tournaments, I just got back from the Lady Bass Anglers Association Women's Pro Bass Tour wildcard event on Bull Shoals Lake. It was unlike anything I'd ever fished before. Going into it, my main goal was just to make sure I did well enough to qualify for the Classic down on Logan Martin this October. We had the Lance Chuck Camper Mobile Podcast Studio with us all last week and I actually took some videos I'll be putting together a short clip on what a week in the life on tour is like with the Lance Camper so be on the lookout for that whenever I can get that all put together so I had a great practice and caught a bunch of fish but when we started out the lake was like 29 feet high which is a little higher than normal for bull shoals this time of year it's uh, as I mentioned last week designed to hold water to protect uh, Table Rock Lake and Beaver Lake from flooding. So we had to launch our boats from the parking lot, which was very interesting. And the water is incredibly clear. You're literally like looking down and you're in the treetops on your, on your boat. It was, it was kind of surreal. But the water was dropping while we were there that week. And on top of that, the temps were rising fast. There were heat advisories just about every day we were out there in very little breeze. And so that was making the the fish move out further or deeper. And it was a pretty good challenge to try to adjust and figure out what they wanted. Uh, By the time day one of the tournament came around, everything had changed at that point. Thankfully, my early morning topwater bites still held out a little bit on day one. And I lucked out with two decent keepers first thing. After that, 
it shut down and it was a total grind the rest of the day. Day two was a grind from stop, start to finish. The top water was incredibly slow. I think I got one short fish, a 14 inch. They had to be 15 on bull shoals for largemouth. So I had to throw it back. Um, finally close to the end of the day at the last place we'd stopped. I happened to see a cool, a school of five to six largemouth cruising the bank off a steep point. I just threw a Senko at them as soon as I saw them and bam, I got a decent keeper. And I really wish I could have caught all six of them because the fish followed the one I had on the hook a good way to the boat. And I could tell they were all good size fish. So anyway, I got to cross the stage both days with fish to weigh in. I didn't get skunked either day. So I was happy with that. And while I didn't do as well as I hoped in the Bull Shoals tournament, I still managed to make the cut and qualify for the Classic on Logan Martin in October. I was so relieved. I'm already getting to work prepping for it. I got a few techniques that I think are going to come into play that time of year that will be down there. And uh, in between now and then, I'm just going to be working on my skills here on my local lake with those techniques and just getting them really, really dialed in. So when I get to Logan Martin, we'll just be ready to tear them up, hopefully. All right, well, let's get into this incredible conversation. Marianne and I were already having some good conversation before I had the chance to do a proper intro. So I hit the record button and I'll just do it now. Please welcome to the show my special guest, Marianne Husky. So what do you do professionally? Like, I mean, I know obviously you fish tournaments, but... Do you- yeah, I'm a chief operations officer um, in the construction industry. And then also by default, and until I worked with a life coach or a business coach, didn't even realize how much I was participating throughout the last 15 years in change culture management and mm. was doing it. And back then it wasn't really called anything. Right. And, but now, um, you know, sitting down with her and just having some conversations. And she basically said to me, you realize what you've been doing this whole time? (laughs) And once she brought it to light, um, I guess I kind of started doing some research and everything that the description of what that is, the change culture management or consultant is what I've been doing. (laughs) So explain what that, and if you don't mind, I'm recording right now because this is also interesting. No, Um, that's fine. Um, so really I can go back to the days of, um, working with Maurice Sporting Goods and they would have their big annual sales event and they brought in all their sales reps that would work with all the different stores. And and I'll use Cabela's or Bass Pro as an example. And some of the questions that were, um, um, I guess geared towards me, and what my presentations were on for those annual events, which with each group and the groups were organized according to region, was how does how do the stores and how do the reps go into the stores and talk to the managers and the um, I guess you would say the person in charge of a department, let's say the fishing department, how do they increase the sales? when a husband and wife come in or when two women come in together or, you know, what are we missing and how are we not? Because they look at their sales and they say, okay, who's buying 80 or 90% are men. 
well, we need to change that. And how do we do it? Mm. So was what I was talking to them about, and I'll use the boating industry as a very simple example. Let's say two women walk into a boat show and they want to buy a boat together. What is the percentage of a salesman talking to those two women versus a guy walking around that looks like a buyer? Mm-hmm. That's probably pretty low. Mm-hmm. Okay, then you get a husband, wife, man, woman that come and walk in. Who is going to get the eye contact with the salesman? The husband or the wife or both? And the answer is the husband. And that's a huge mistake because the financial decisions aren't driven by one or the other in relationships. It's usually a conversation that happens. And it doesn't matter if it's man, woman, or whatever it is. My job was to explain to these people on how simple details, eye contact with both parties regardless. Mm-hmm. And how do you talk to, do you talk to women different than you would talk to a man? And the, or a man, excuse me. And the answer is yes. And it, sometimes you do. They might not have owned three or four boats prior to. And the concerns of women when they go out on a boat, you want to know what the number one concern is? Where do I go to the bathroom? <laughs> Right. And just for being in this industry as long as I have, that when I go to the boat show for Lund and sit with the dealership that I work with, that's something that I help them with mm-hmm. is to make everyone, no matter who they are or why they're there, should all feel comfortable. It doesn't matter. Very so cool. that is the change culture. Gotcha. Then you fast forward into the construction industry, which I've been in for 24 years And the company that I am no longer with, that was just with, their big thing was these guys in the field were not allowed to take vacation in the summer because we live in the Midwest. And they were told it's Mm -hmm. too busy and you can't go camping with your family, Mm. which I'll be honest is a bunch of BS. And it shouldn't matter when they want to go on vacation or what time of year. They earned the vacation and should be able to use it when they want. Mm -hmm. The other thing was the safety culture. So when I first went on board with them, um, their idea of safety was completely opposite of what it should be. So um, shimmy up that pole and get that truss attached as quickly as possible. What do you mean you need a harness? What are you, a wuss? (laughs) Well, that leads to accidents and so on and so forth. So changing that culture took a long time. I can imagine. You know, and then you have to, it's all a big circle. So you have to estimate for more time and it costs more because you have to implement the safety programs. So it does, you know, take a little bit more time. So to change that culture and let them know that it's okay to be safe because you need to go home, number one, mm-hmm. not you need to get the job done, number one. Right. So that's the whole thing that where I talk about the culture shift. Gotcha. Um, you know, leading a team as a leader, not as a boss. Um, the guy that I ran his company for and worked for, he used to say to me all the time, yeah, I want to get these people and lock them in the truck and then they can't get out and I can really talk to them. That's like a, a dictatorship. It's not right. a leader. It's, and you would be shocked. As to how much, well, maybe you wouldn't be, but <laughs> <laughs> well, the fact that this stuff still goes on in the Midwest is insane. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's terrible. Uh, 
it, it's yeah. interesting because like I came from the music industry. That's what brought me down to Nashville from Minnesota and mm-hmm. the music business, very, very much male dominated. So I've seen a lot of the, the same things over the years, but I got out yeah. of it a few years ago, started the podcast, got my captain's license nice. and that's all kind of evolved to me now. I'm a membership executive for Freedom Boat Club, and so I'm not sure if you're familiar with Freedom Boat Club. Uh, I'm not. We actually just opened several locations, or they're in the process of opening in the Milwaukee area. Um, we've got 350 locations worldwide. So basically, people join the boat club, and that allows them to access to our fleet of boats across those 350-plus locations so you don't that's have, fantastic yeah so you don't have to deal with the hassles of owning a boat and cleaning and maintenance and all the things that come along with it you just get on the boat go enjoy nice. your day bring it back pay for the gas and you're you go home <laughs> so that is very cool well, yeah and it, plus it opens up the door for people that might not be able to afford a hundred thousand dollar boat right yeah and you get a whole fleet of seventy thousand on up you know average boats at your disposal awesome. that are replaced every two to three years too so um but uh you know it's interesting when you're talking about that because at, as a membership executive you know i meet all kinds of people that are interested in joining and they often come out for tours to see the location and the boats and a lot of them are women and yes, I think it's absolutely. probably an advantage for me being a female membership executive because I can relate, you know, um, I, I give them all my attention and the eye contact and all the things that they might not get from a male membership executive. But I, yeah. do, I do think that's changing. And obviously people are recognizing that women are the decision makers these days <laughs> for the most part. Well, and you know, I just, yesterday was um, a great day um, for me to MC, and the, there, we had a fantastic panel of ladies, and they just um, had some great ideas on stuff that they're doing and creating leadership and supporting their teams and everything that, that goes along with it, mm-hmm. which is just absolutely fantastic. So, um the industry is changing slowly, but surely. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it's all good stuff. It's really good right. stuff. Yeah. And it's the needle is moving. Unfortunately, it could move a little faster. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, very cool. Well, I definitely want to talk about your fishing um, career because uh, you're pretty, pretty inspirational. Some of the stuff that you've done over the years and, I, my passion is walleye fishing, and I don't get to feature. I bass fish now because I'm down in the south, and I don't have a lot of. I mean, we have walleye stuff around us, but the lake I'm on does not have walleye in it, so I've kind of had to shift my focus. Oh, absolutely, over to bass, and so. But I think it's so cool that you fish fish walleye tournaments and. Um, just kind of want to talk a little bit about growing up in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan and, and getting started and and go from there. Sure. Yeah. Feel free. Ask away. Yeah. So so I, I understand your, your grandfather was a pretty big influence on you getting started in fishing. Um, he was, um, you know, by no means was he a good angler at all. 
He was just that guy that retired, bought a boat, and wanted to be on the water. And I, I look back now, and I think there was a lot of times where he was trolling along, and I'm not really sure if he even looked back to see if there was a fish on or not. He just, he loved the freedom of the water. Mm-hmm. And, the, you know, all these years and the hundreds and thousands of people that I've met, whether it be at seminars that I've done or events that I've attended, um, there's a lot of people that are like that. And they're not competitive, but they enjoy the sport just for the simplicity of the sport. Mm -hmm. So that was um, my grandfather, by all means. And him buying that boat when he retired and that got me on the water as a young girl was the first um, moment, I guess, in time the first chapter, we'll call it. I'm, and if I do, which I know everyone's saying, I need to write a book. It'll be yeah. called the first perch. So you definitely need to write a book for sure. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so the first perch was was the moment. You know, um, yesterday when I spoke to the the group of ladies, I told them that. Um, when I was three years old, I was that kid that came upstairs after working with my dad in the shop and told my mom that I'm going to be mayor of this town when I grow up. <laughs> um, so I just think that um, I had a purpose and it was always there. I just had to, you know, sometimes you have to give in to what your purpose is and accept mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Well, so obviously catching that first perch to fishing your first walleye tournament there was, you know, quite a few series of events, I would say, between those two times. Um, what kind of yes. led you to having the desire to fish competitively, especially with your grandfather not really being of that mindset? So for me, um, and I do believe that people have a competitive nature with its inside, you either have it or some don't do not. Like my grandfather wasn't necessarily competitive, but loved the freedom of the water. For me, the competition, it's always been there and it will always be here. It's something I cannot turn it off. Um, and even now, um, you know, if something came up or when I go on the water, I just can't turn it off. So <laughs> It is. It's all about the competition. And it's not necessarily about the win for me anymore, as much as it is about the competition and now teaching and helping others to win. Mm -hmm. So that that competitiveness has evolved and has changed as um, I have aged. Do you feel like you're mostly competing with the other competitors or more with yourself? Um, It depends on the stage. So if I were to, um, there's a tournament that's coming up to Green Bay and some of the guys that I used to travel with are going to be in town and I am not fishing the event. But if I were to go out on a day that they're practicing and jump in one of the boats, it would be with that person that day. Mm-hmm. So it completely depends on the stage. Um If it's, uh, I have a, an event with Mercury coming up, a youth um, tournament in July on Winnebago. And that competition is going to be to really help and teach and guide and not doing it for them, but to um, inspire these young people so that they can win while they're in my boat that day. Cool. So every challenge it, um, it, it has a different direction. It depends on the situation. 
Yeah, that makes sense. So when you're teaching someone, what are some of the most important things? Like, how do you teach someone to win tournaments? I mean, that's got to be a challenge because there's so much that goes into it. So when you, the hardest thing to teach is um, understanding your own instinct. Mm -hmm. And some people just will never, you know, there's the light bulb moment and everyone who has done well in tournaments. And I mean, and I want to make sure I define done well. For anyone that has done well and figured it out and had the light bulb moment, it's because they actually figured it out themselves. I'm not talking about the guys or gals who called a local guide up and got some fishing spots and then won the tournament off of someone else's information. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about the people that truly had the light bulb moment in their fishing career where they looked at the map and saw all the contour lines and literally physically saw something different than everyone else sees. It's like mm-hmm. it's, um, if you watch those movies where the people see the numbers and um, they show up differently or mm-hmm. there's words and sentences that they see, it's almost like that. But it's like looking at a graph in the contour lines and you do physically see something different, whether it's the underwater points or you pick out things that are different. And when you have that aha moment, it has to come from within. It doesn't come from a guide, local guide information. It doesn't come from someone you travel with told you what to do and what to use and how deep and how fast. It's an actual moment in time. Mm. So that, to teach that, you can teach it, but they have to be willing to set everything aside. And if they're a power troller, put your trolling rods away. If all you do is jig, rip, and wraps, then they need to be put away and you need to do other stuff. And you have to be open to change. And if you're not, then you, you're you right. You can't teach it. Do you remember your first aha moment? Absolutely. I do. It was on the <laughs> Missouri River. And this is way back. I think it was like 2011. And I do remember looking at the graph, at the contour lines, and it, it almost did exactly what I said. It just popped. And I I literally out loud said, Oh my gosh, I finally get it. Mm. Yeah. So So I started breaking things apart different. I I just looked at things differently and it, then it evolves from there. It has to grow. It's like, that's the seed was planted and then the small plant tree, whatever. And then it blossoms into a big, huge giant tree. That's so cool. So, so the timeline for you, you started fishing walleye tournaments 2009. I imagine you put a ton, a ton, a ton of time on the water to get to that point where you had your aha moment in 2011. And then you win angler of the year in 2012. Correct. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so I had fished local, I call them bar tournaments for quite a few years up on the St. Mary's river. Um, prior to 2009 and I was actually, my direction wasn't to go pro. It was to go to grassroots team events in the state of Michigan. And I met a couple of the pros. They said, no, don't waste your time. You're ready. Make the jump. Um, my first pro tournament was in Saginaw Bay and I got my rear handed to me basically, which is good. It's those humbling moments are, you know, part of the written chapters that you have to go through in order to, um, develop the skills that are necessary to compete. Mm-hmm. 
So, um, 2012 was a great year. Um, the only thing that first tournament was the Canadians versus Americans. And I was leading the tournament for two days in a row. And on day three, I was beat. Um, so that was, and wound up in second. And to this day, that still just (laughs) grinds my rear. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I was, I was actually beat by one of the guys that I traveled with. So, um, so I started the year out really well. And the one thing about competitive angling is that first tournament, if you don't do well, angler of the year's out the door, you're done. So you have to do well. And it just, it was almost like the book was already written and I just was following along because the season was good. The last tournament was in Lake of the Woods and um, the final day of the championship to determine who was angler of the year was on August 18th. And that was my grandfather's birthday. Oh. So, I mean, talk about full circle. Really? Yeah. That's so yeah. cool. <laughs> Very cool. And I, I imagine, and I, I think I read somewhere, you know, you talked about the importance of consistency as well. Yeah. Being consistent is probably one of the hardest things to do. Um, And there's so many things that lead into establishing consistency. Number one is boat control. Number two is identifying your surroundings. Um, Number three, I'm going to go back. It's boat control is huge. And then the willingness to change and understand when to change and when not to change. So it's tough. Um, The, your worst enemy in a tournament is yourself. Mm Mm-hmm. Because the one thing that's driving you to either move or stay or what's going on or you can get distracted by other anglers is your own mind. And sometimes it can get the best of you. Um, The other thing I think that's really important is your personal life balance. So I struggled with this from probably 15, well, maybe even 16, I got sick. I had some issues with kidney, 17, 18. Um, And then I was married previously. My husband was an alcoholic. So that was a big challenge Mm -hmm. in itself. Um, You know, he went to rehab and I decided I wasn't babysitting anybody. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you don't have that balance at home and in your personal life, you're most likely not going to do as well um, in a very high level competitive scene because it's always in the back of your mind. Mm -hmm. So I tell people, if you're going to go do this or you're going to attempt to do it, make sure you're okay with you first before you do it. Otherwise you might as well just take your money and donate it. Because those of us that are okay and are ready and are very competitive, we're going to take your money. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's such great advice. I'm so glad we're having this conversation because I think it's going to be really, really helpful for the listeners out there and anybody that is thinking about making the leap and um, fishing competitively. So those are all really, really great things to keep in mind. And I can see it looking at the field. Yeah, I fished the Lady Bass Anglers Association Women's Pro Bass Tour and the ladies that are consistent and, you know, always coming in first or second place, 
they, you know, I, I don't know the, the ins and outs of their lives, but from what I see can tell that, you know, it seems like they have really, really great balance. And, uh, and it's, yeah, it is probably more important than people realize. Um, and I've never fished an, uh, against women. I've always fished against all men, but, um, and it doesn't matter if it's men or women, but for those that are distracted by, um, whatever it may be in their personal lives, they're very, very easy to pick out because they will gossip. They will cut down. They will try to um, mess with others' minds. And instead of worrying about their own fish, they're more worried about what everyone else is doing. And you can, they're very easy to pick out of a crowd. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't know if it's the same environment in a, uh, the female um, stage, all female. I would imagine with all humans, it's pretty much the same, but um, they're easy to pick. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> well, <laughs> I fish with the guys too locally and there is a little bit of differences for sure. You know, women are women and <laughs> you have those little issues here and there, but um, for the sure. most part, the, you know, the group is a really great tight knit family, which is, which is nice to have as well. So yeah, absolutely. We're uh, best friends off the water and then, tournament time look out <laughs> exactly it's game on yeah you bet game yep. on. oh yeah i traveled with a group of guys for over 10 years and we were all extremely close and then on the water we were against each other it's all for one and one for all yep so yep unless somebody's in in distress waving the dip net you know we'll go help each other out during the tournament yeah but the but. other thing is and i was very um fortunate the guys i traveled with we never shared money in any way shape or form Mm. so and i've heard that people that do this which and it seems like those teams don't stay together Mm. um that i don't know if they call them teams because they're not really well they are kind of but those it, it seems like there's always some type of animosity which would make sense because let's say you have four anglers and one is doing really well and the other three aren't well, the one that's doing well doesn't think the other three are pulling their weight. So how do you navigate through that type of a stressful situation? I, and mm. I never had that, which is a good thing. Um, we were all happy for each other. It didn't matter who was doing well or who wasn't. It didn't affect the others financially or in other, any other way, shape, or form. So that's another piece of advice I would tell people that if you do – travel with other anglers, I would suggest shying away from any type of sharing of winnings Mm -hmm. because it can create problems before they start. Yeah, I could totally see that. And that's interesting. I guess I've not been doing it long enough to know that that actually occurs. Yeah, yeah, it does. (laughs) And it might be more in the walleye industry than the bass. I don't know because I'm not, I don't fish bass. I don't have no right to say what they do or don't do. Um, but it is something that I just, I don't think it's a good idea. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. I could see mm-hmm. that, that could definitely cause rifts for sure. Um, yeah, money does weird things to people. Yeah, <laughs> sure does. Well, before <laughs> before we wrap this up, I obviously we have to touch on the fact that you made history 
by becoming the first woman angler to win a major tournament on the Mississippi River. This is actually how I found out about you because um, one of my friends sent me the article. And they're like, you got to have Marianne Husky on your show. And uh, this was just in July of 2021. So talk a little bit about that. So um, oddly enough, this, the one thing that I have said in every interview that I've ever done, podcast, appearance, panel, everyone asks me, what's your favorite place to fish and your least favorite? And my least favorite place to fish is the Mississippi River. <laughs> so, of course, last year in Head to Head, we're going to the Mississippi River. Mm. And I'm thinking, oh, and I don't mind fishing wing dams. You know, I'm my bolt control is pretty stellar. Um, you know, I've worked really hard at that over all the years and um but the bite was terrible and it was hot and this is the one place I don't want to be so I basically um put my flag up back on that sunfish hole and I'm fortunate enough to run a Lund um Pro V it's an aluminum boat so it's lighter mm-hmm. and where I went to get in you know the the walla anglers we have a deeper V um so we can't get as skinny as you folks with the bass boats So I needed to go wide open with full trim to get in here. And it was three quarters of a mile, you know, um, and my camera guy and my marshal were sweating it, let's just say. (laughs) (laughs) Because you don't want to get off course at all because you're going to be stuck in the mud. Nobody can get to you. Yeah. Oh, man. So um, while I was back there, I could see the fish on my Garmin Panoptics and I teach classes for Garmin and have for about six years. So I'm very familiar with how it works. And the presentation that I was using was a beetle spin and it wasn't working. And I, the fish were coming up and coming up and coming up to the surface to the point where I could physically see them with my eye. And I started ripping through my boat and pulling out everything I had. And trying to find the shallowest bait that I could find. And I actually found a shallow diving bass stick bait <laughs> through that. And I, it must have been five or six casts and nothing was happening. And I was just getting frustrated. And one of the other guys that was back in there, he also had a Lund or aluminum so he could get in there. And he yells over and says, are you going to throw everything in that boat? And I said, yes. So I turned around and I looked at my marshal. And I, I do not bass fish, like I've said. And I know there's a presentation that you're twitching with bass. So i that's the only way I can really relate. Mm-hmm. I basically ripped that bait and turned around and looked at my marshal and said, you know what? This is driving me nuts that they're not biting. And there was slack in my line. And all of a sudden, bam, I had a six pounder on it, six, six and a half pounds wow. or something like that. And this is, again, that's one of those aha moments where what was I doing How did I catch the fish? What presentation made them trigger? So I reel the fish and I net it because in head to head, you have to do it all yourself, which is great. Mm -hmm. I turn around and look at my marshal and he's flipping out. And I said, okay, everybody needs to remain calm. My camera (laughs) guy's got his mouth open. And then I look at the marshal and said, this is where you come in. You need to weigh the fish. (laughs) He didn't even have the scale out. And he's like, oh, yeah. (laughs) because <laughs> nobody was catching fish that day on, in the tournament. I think Brett King was, and then, so there was hardly any fish being caught. So um, at that moment, it's like, okay, what did I just do to trigger the bite? Where am I casting? What's happening? So I continued to do that. 
um, the fish started to sink down in the surface. I could see them again on the um, Panoptics live scope. And I switched to a small shad style bait, did the same presentation, rip, pause, rip, pause. And I caught some nice fish that day. Um, so I had a really great day on the water. And I stayed back in that hole for the entire week. Uh, came down to the very last day of competition and I was catching crappie and all kind of everything but a walleye. <laughs> and I was up against Isaac Lockish and he wasn't catching any walleyes either. So the day ended and they had to go with the results from the entire week of who had the better week and the more weight. And I beat Isaac by... I think it was six to 10 pounds. It was pretty substantial yeah. amount of weight. Wow. Yeah. So um, it was so surreal <laughs> because my marshal said, Marianne, you just won the tournament. I'm like, are you sure? Do you want to call somebody and check? <laughs> <laughs> because I'm like, we don't want to make, I don't want to get too excited. It's because we're live broadcasting. Right. You know? <laughs> and then it's not a real deal here. So um it was amazing. Um, my husband and I drove home that day. He drove and I was on my phone. I must have had 2,000 text messages. Oh, I don't sure. even know how many other <laughs> Facebook. And the majority of the messages, everyone was congratulating me, but I got a lot of messages from people that said, my niece, my daughter, my sister, today was a good day for them. Oh. And that was probably the biggest impact of the win. Yeah. That it wasn't just for me. It was for all the other women. That's awesome. So that was pretty awesome. So awesome. And that's, I think, why the, the story was so big because of the impact that it has on other, you know, future aspiring female anglers, mm -hmm. e even current anglers to see, hey, she did it. It can be done. Yeah. <laughs> Yesterday when I was speaking for the leadership organization, the women's leadership organization, and that's exactly what I told them. I said, I wasn't the only one that won last year in July. I said, all of the women did. And it's a big deal. It's for everyone. It wasn't just about me. I just happened to be the one with the rod in my hand. Mm. So good stuff. Yeah, very good stuff. So very inspirational. Um, it's been one of my favorite conversations I've had. Um, so I really appreciate you taking the time to be on the show. I'm so glad I, I, somebody sent me that article and we were able to get connected. Um, Absolutely. What's what's coming up for you? Well, I feel like um, the there's a transitioning transition. Excuse me, that's starting to happen. And yesterday was probably the next chapter with. Um, you know, I'm going to spend time on the water, but I don't know if tournaments are in my wheelhouse anymore. I'll still fish. I'm still going to be on the water. I've got my boat the whole bit, and I'll probably do some team events with my husband. But I think now that I have the win under my belt, it's time for me to use the skills that I have for leadership um, and then, you know, in the industry of construction, owning a company, and then of course running someone else's and really focusing on this change management. Um, I think I have an opportunity here to help companies mm -hmm. that are smaller companies, 
you know, the two to $10 million companies that need that change management consultant to come in and help guide them in a non-threatening manner. Um, uh, so it would be a fractional position. You go in for two or three months and, um, basically you help the organization work on this change and building these teams and acceptance for everyone that works there and what they bring to the table. So I think it's time. Yeah. And, um, I don't know. Yeah. I just, I, I have a lot of skills in that avenue as well. And then with the history of the fishing, um, I, there's a lot of people out there that I can help and a lot of companies that I can help grow their profitability with efficiencies and this type of change that it's, it's very impactful and it definitely will raise your profits. There is no doubt. Very cool. So I think that's going to be the direction. I really enjoyed yesterday's, um, emceeing the event and being able to reach out not just to women in the outdoor industry but in all industries Mm -hmm. so it's amazing women have um hobbies not just fishing hunting but it can be dance crafting there's so many other things and i think i have an opportunity to touch them as well yeah absolutely you need to follow your heart follow your passion it sounds like you've been doing that and so makes sense to continue to keep on yeah, where you feel like you're being led next so yes very yep, cool follow my purpose yeah is there uh anywhere like on social media people can go to follow some of the stuff you're doing yeah they can always go to my facebook page um which is still marianne husky the athlete page and i got married a couple months ago so my last name has changed to fector that's f as in frank e c as in cat h t e r um, and I have a LinkedIn page as well. So I'm getting a little bit more active gotcha. on LinkedIn platform um, on the business side of things and the change consultant. Yeah, so that, that would be a be great the, place. The best platform for that type of thing these days. Yeah, so. absolutely. Very cool. Well, thank you again for taking time out of your day. I, like I said, really enjoyed it. And uh, maybe we'll get to meet and fish someday. That would be cool. That sounds great. I appreciate it. And um, if there's anything else I can do, let me know. 